sort of following on the heels of what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about community and how important community in the church is. How important it is for us to know and remember that we belong to a body of believers. That our community here, as it grows stronger, hopefully will continue to make the community around us stronger. Using several different examples, we talked about how it's important for us, for our community here, to be strong together, that people outside of these walls that don't sit in these chairs every single week notice our love for one another and our community as we grow together. And so, I, <coughs> excuse me, I wanted to continue talking about something that was related to that. And I wanted to talk about us as individuals. There's a verse that I've been reading uh, or seeing a lot lately around as I do my daily business and, and do my daily things. I've seen one particular verse uh, more often than I have uh, some others. And I thought what, an, uh, what a, an incredible verse it was and it really spoke to me. And so I thought maybe we should just sort of talk about what that verse means. And so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, want to turn to Exodus chapter 14. A familiar story, a story that I'm sure all of us have heard a number of times. But the verse that we want to look at this morning, Exodus chapter 14, and we'll talk about really the whole story of Exodus chapter 14, but I really want to focus on verse 14 in the chapter. Exodus 14, 14. Which, which says, the Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be still. My version out of the New American Standard says, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. <laughs> and what an incredible verse that was. Thank you. What an incredible verse. She's amazing. Uh, that really spoke to me saying, God is going to be there for you and for me, and all we need to do is just sit back and watch God do His thing. Oh, man, surrounded by love. There we go. Thank you. Now, this verse comes to us in chapter 14, where it talks about the Israelites running away from Pharaoh and his army, the crossing of the Red Sea. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. But the, the sort of theme of today's lesson is cherished treasure. That we ought to consider ourselves cherished treasure to God. As we have talked about community and what it means to be strong as a body, we also need to remember that we belong to God as individuals. And so because of that, our love because God has loved us, our love for one another will grow strong. And so we want to look at the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Now let's, let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 14 of Exodus. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before a bunch of names that I'm not going to pronounce. And the sea, you shall camp in front of another town opposite it by the sea. <laughs> for Pharaoh will say uh, of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. 
Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. (coughs) Now, here in the beginning, basically what's happened is, if you'll remember, there were plagues. Moses said, let my people go. And and Pharaoh kept saying no, and so God would bring plagues. And and what was, if if we can all remember a little little Old Testament history, what was the last plague, the one that broke Pharaoh's back, the one that he said, fine, just leave? What was that last one? Right. Killing the firstborn. Now, imagine if you were, if you could put yourself in Pharaoh's golden sandals, what would it felt what would it have felt like in a culture in a system where if you have a son as a king as pharaoh what would it have been like for your firstborn who was going to take out, take your job after you were gone what would that have been like for that son to be taken from you you can understand how pharaoh would have been a little upset at the jews and at moses And so Pharaoh said, fine, go. I don't want to see you anymore. Leave. Well, then Pharaoh had a a little change of heart. Because basically what he did was send out all of his workforce. (laughs) You see, the Egyptians were holding the Jews as slaves. And so Pharaoh had basically fired his entire company and said, just leave. (laughs) I don't want you anymore. And then he realized, well, now I don't have anybody that can build my stuff. (laughs) And so he had a change of heart, and he goes after the Israelites. And so they're wandering through with God leading them. If you'll remember the pillar of fire at night, the pillar of smoke during the day, God leading the Israelites on their journey to the promised land. And so they finally reach this place where we are in Exodus chapter 14 at the Red Sea, and it looks like they are trapped in Uh, and with Pharaoh's army close behind. Let's continue on in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, what is this that we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. We just lost our entire workforce. So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with the officers over all of them. The Lord hardened, excuse me, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. <coughs> so here was Israel, all of the Israelites, plus some other ones that they had picked up along the way. Numbers have been estimated uh, around one million people, which is a giant group of people, all leaving Egypt at the same time trying to get to what God had said would be their promised land. And then Pharaoh says, you know what? I, no, I kind of want him back now. And so he goes chasing after him. But it's not just Pharaoh and, and like a ragtag group of, of ruffians trying to go get this group of million people back. No, no, he calls on basically the entire Egyptian army, which was kind of a big deal. Because Egypt was kind of the largest country at this time and kind of the most powerful. So the entire Egyptian army, which was a big deal, is leaving to go get all of the Israelites that have just been fired from their jobs. 
which, if I was an Israelite, being fired from that job was probably the best thing that had ever happened to them, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So here are, here are the Israelites stuck at the Red Sea. They're, they're trying to figure out where to go from here, and then all of a sudden they can hear chariots in the distance coming after them as a drove of this Israelite army is chasing after them. Pick back up in verse 9. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Hari-Hoth in the front of Baal Zephon, or whatever. As, I, don't, I don't know how to read those. Uh, verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. I would say so. Is, here is Israel after being in what I think at this point they have probably just gotten used to the fact that they were slaves. They had gotten used to the fact that they were just going to be uh, a part of Egyptian workforce forever. And so here they were. They finally got a small taste of freedom that they were all leaving. And then Israel, or sorry, Egypt is, is crushing down on them. And the Israelites begin to get scared. I imagine that the reason they were getting scared is because they knew what it was like to mess up while they were still employed by Egypt. What was it going to be like now that they have messed up and they weren't employed by Egypt? I'm sure they were afraid for their lives. And so they began to be afraid. Verse 11, Then they said to Moses, It is because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? You see, for me, if I had been an Israelite, if I was in their sandals, I would have thought to myself, finally, no more hard labor and no appreciation, no more working for somebody who doesn't appreciate what I do. Not alone do they not appreciate it, but they probably give me nice whippings every once in a while. Not only am I not working for them anymore, I'm now free but here the Israelites are saying, well, yeah, we're free, but now we're going to die. I don't like this idea either. And so they were afraid, and they began to cry out to Moses, why did you take us from, at least we knew what we were doing in Egypt. Now we have no idea what we're doing. We're probably going to die. You see, I think the Israelites had forgotten who they were. I think a lot of the Israelites had forgotten that they were treasured by God. They had been in one thing for so long. They had been involved in in slavery for so long that they had forgotten who they were. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I fall into that same mindset where things, it seems like every time you turn around, things have just gone bad. And I forget who I am. And I forget whose I am. And I think the Israelites were probably in that spot. Continuing on, verse 12, Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. We would rather be enslaved by Egypt. We would rather be whipped every day than die here. There's nothing for us here. They began to, they immediately forgot that God was on their side. 
But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be still. I love that verse in the context of the story. The Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be still. And I think sometimes what a a difficult lesson that is for us. Because I can't hear God and I can't see God and I can't touch God and so I feel like I have to help Him do what I need for me when all we have to do is be silent and let God do the work. Because God has already promised us in His Word that He is going to fight for us, that He is going to be on our side, that God knew us, that David said in the Psalms that God knew us even in the womb as He knit us together. God is on our side, and yet sometimes I think like the Israelites, we forget that. And so Moses was trying to remind them that all you have to do is wait and see, and God will do something amazing. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord and that I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. And so God tells Moses, look, just raise up your staff, and in my name I will separate the water and they will walk through on dry land. Now, this is a pretty amazing thing. When was the last time that you were in the ocean or you were at a a large body of water and the water separated so that you could walk to the other side? No, we have to walk all the way or drive all the way around. (laughs) But not the Israelites. So here were the Israelites. They had been, the Israelites and, and whoever else was with them, all this huge group of people, following along this land, following this giant pillar of smoke in the daytime, this giant pillar of fire in the night, and they get to this spot where there's no really else, there's not real any path to go. They're, they're just kind of stuck. <laughs> there's nowhere else. They could swim. That's a lot of people. And there's kids. There's babies. And then all, while they're stuck here in this place, there's not really anywhere else to go. They could walk around, but that could take forever. As they're standing here in this place, they begin to hear the sound of chariots in the background, and they start to get frightened, and they say, what are we going to do now? And Moses says, just wait. And so he raises up his staff, and the water begins to separate. But not just that. Let's continue on. The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So here was this group of of Israelites, all of these million people that were standing here after they had fled from Egypt. And here come the chariots over the hill behind them. And as the uh, the pillar of God's presence, the pillar of smoke and fire, as it was standing before them, leading them, it then moved around them and stood in between the Israelites and the Egyptian army. 
So God didn't just separate the water so that they could move across. God had their backs. <laughs> and yet they were filled with spirits of doubt. And so God moved his presence from in front of them to behind them and said, watch this. <laughs> and as fire separated the Israelites from the Egyptian army, the waters began to separate. And so it came between, verse 20, so it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other at night, uh, all night. So all night long, smoke, fire separating Israel from the Egyptian army, and all night long the waters began to separate from the sea. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a, long, a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea onto the dry land and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And so imagine Israel as they were standing there, they were terrified of what was going to happen as they, as they can hear the chariots coming behind them and then God moves his presence from in front of them to behind them to divide Israel and Egypt and all night long, the two never saw each other. And as they were separated, the waters began to part. And God was doing something miraculous. And so here was Israel, terrified with fear, thinking, we might as well have just stayed in Egypt. At least then we knew that we were getting little food and whippings every day. Now we're just going to die with nothing to do in the desert. <laughs> and Moses said, just be still. Because God will fight for you. And as the waters separated that night, the Israelites began to walk down the hill and into what was once a sea on dry land with a wall on their right and a wall on their left. And I always wonder what it would have been like to walk through what, what I, I, could have, I could clearly several hours before see just body of water and now there was a pathway two walls of water on either side of me, and I wonder what it was like. I wonder what it would have been like to see inside of the, the sea <laughs> as they walked through it. And of course, the end of the story is that as the, as the Israelites reach the other side, Moses raises up his staff again as Pharaoh has begun to chase them and the water comes crashing down and all of the Egyptian army is taken. Because God lived up to his promise. God said, if you will just wait, I will fight for you. And as they get to the other side, they see that God made, made good on his promise. And he took the Egyptians that day. God was right when he said, everybody will know, including Pharaoh, including Egypt, who I am and what I will do for you. And I think the one thing that we need to remember is that from this story is that verse that God will fight for us. God, God does not take what he feels about us lightly. We are his treasure. Just like Israel was his treasure and yet they for so long had forgotten what God had promised them. 
They had become so ingrained with what Egypt was doing to them on a daily basis as they were slaves that they forgot what God had promised them. They were probably under the assumption that God had forgotten about them because they had been there for so long. Have you been there? Have you been in a spot in your life where you have been, where, where things have been so bad for so long that you feel like God has just forgotten you? So why would I have anything to do with Him? And yet, just like the Israelites, I think we need to be reminded that even in those times, even in those darkest hours where we feel like God has forgotten us, it's important to remember that God has got our backs that God will fight for us. All we have to do is be still and wait. And sometimes that's the hardest thing. Sometimes the hardest thing is being still and waiting. And so what does it mean to be still and wait? When our children have diseases or, 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 or problems and we don't know how to fix it, or when a loved one passes away, or when we get fired from our job, or when we start losing money, or when, we, when everything happens... How is it that we are supposed to be still and wait? I'm reminded of the story of Job. Job, who, who, a man who had enormous wealth. I think it's been said by scholars that he was probably one of the wealthiest people in, in the known world at the time. But he was a man who loved God despite everything that he had. He gave all of that as a testament to what God can do in a person's life. <clears throat> and so the story goes that Satan said, I, I want to test him. And God said, okay, let's do it. Job had everything taken away. His possessions, his land, his livestock, his family. And at the end of it all, he could do nothing else but praise God. Because I think Job got it. Because I think Job got it in that he remembered that even though I have lost everything, God is going to fight for me. There's a, there's a, a guy at work that I work with. He and his wife have four children. Uh, and they were... Um, just recently found that they were pregnant with another, a fifth child. Uh, and just a, a couple of weeks ago, um, everything was going fine. And then his wife uh, had a miscarriage and lost the baby. Uh, and, and so he actually put uh, as his Facebook status, and I know this is sort of a weird, we're, we're living in a weird generation, I think, but he put as his Facebook status a verse from Job, where Job tore his clothes and covered himself in ashes and mourned because of the loss that he had experienced. And it reminded me just how precious life is. But he is a, a strong enough person in what God has done for him in his life that I know that he has remembered that God is going to fight for him. It is terrible to lose a child. And yet God will fight for him. God will continue to be there for him and his wife and his family. And I think we need to be reminded of that. That God will fight for us. You know, sometimes I think 
Maybe we just feel that we're not strong enough. Maybe with this idea that God will fight for us, maybe it's just sometimes we feel like we're not exactly strong enough. So let's think about the Israelites. Here they were, day in and day out, they had been living the same slave-filled existence for so long that maybe they just felt like they weren't strong enough to believe that God was going to be there for them no matter what. The Israelites had lived that same existence for so long, generation after generation, that they felt like God had just left, checked out, moved on. And you know it wasn't always like that for Israel. Back in the days of Joseph, Israel was welcome in Egypt. And yet, so long after Joseph's death, it was some of that had been forgotten. And so Israel was enslaved and they had been living that existence for so long that maybe they felt like God had just moved on. And so I sometimes wonder, how are we the same as the Israelites? How is our mindset sometimes the same as what they were experiencing when, when things have been going the same way for so long that we think God has just maybe checked out on my life? He's blessing a lot of other people, but he's just checked out on me. And I think it's important for us to remember that even in the times where we feel like God has checked out and even in the times where we feel like God is not there, that he has our back, that God will fight for us. And it's in those times, especially when it is important for us to be in a posture of prayer. And it may seem difficult, it may seem hard, it may seem like there's no way that I can make myself pray to somebody who I think has checked out on my heart, who has checked out on my life. Have you seen what's happened to me over the last year? <laughs> and yet, as the scripture tells us, it's important for us to be still and wait for God to come back and fight for us. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Sometimes... The only thing that we need to do, the only thing that we should do, is be still and let God. And I know for me in my life, that has been a very hard lesson for me to learn. I have always, I think, in my spiritual life, wanted things to be handed to me. <laughs> for some reason, I think, I've thought that if, if I just let God, that meant that he would just do everything and make everything fall into place the right way. And that's, that's just not really how it works, I don't think. And then, and then I think there's other people who, who have the mindset where if I, just, if I do a lot, if I, if I pray for people by name every single hour, if I, if I come and if I join this committee or, or, or join this club or, or if I'm this visible or if I... If I do this many prayer requests in church, then God will fight for me. Or, or then I, God will fight for us no matter what we do. God has got our backs no matter what we do. There is not anything that we can do that's going to earn God's love for us. And I think that's something that we have to remember. It doesn't matter what our tally sheet looks like. It doesn't matter how big your scorecard is. God is going to fight for me and for you 
because he loves us, because we are his treasure. Not because we do, not because we're seen, not because we pray so many prayers and we pray for so long. We, the only thing that matters is that God loves us because we are his. And so the thing that we ought to do, I think, is be still and listen for him. And sometimes in the midst of life, that's a really hard thing to do, I know. Sometimes in the midst of life, we get so busy and we, we get wrapped up in, in job, in, in school, in family, in friends, in entertainment. We get so wrapped up in so many different things that we sometimes, I think, forget to just be still. And so what I think we ought to do is instead find time where we can be still and let God. And I don't know what that means for you. It may mean something totally different to you than it does somebody else sitting in your row. It may mean something different for you than it does for me. But I know one thing that I need to do in my own life is block out an area of time where I can sit down and I can just be still. Because sometimes I feel like going a million miles a minute not getting me anywhere. You sort of start to feel like you're on that treadmill where you're, not, you're running but you're not really going anywhere. And I think a lot of times in my own spiritual life that's where I felt. I felt like I've been on a spiritual treadmill where I'm I'm running and I can see all the stuff that I want to go to, but I'm not getting to it. I'm just running in place. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you can see where you want to be. Maybe you can see your spiritual goals in front of you, or maybe you can see where you want to let God be in your life, or you can see where, where you think God is calling you to be, but all you're doing is running in place, not going anywhere. You're sweating up a storm trying to get there, but nothing's happening and nothing's working. And so I think what we should do is turn the treadmill off, unplug it, and just let God work in our lives. As we kind of close up this morning, I want to think about what the Israelites, where the Israelites had been and where I think they ought to have been where they ought to have gone. You see, the Israelites had lived such a long time in, in one particular existence doing one particular thing, <coughs> and yet for so long, because they had been doing that for so long, they forgot what God had called them to be. They forgot that they were the chosen people. They forgot that they were a treasure to God. And so in the moment that God had called them out of their bondage, in the moment that He had called them out of their slavery and was doing miraculous things for them, you see, I don't know that the Israelites really understood what it meant for Pharaoh to say, fine, go. That was a big deal. <laughs> and then they were, they were stuck in the wilderness thinking that there was nowhere else to go. The, the Egyptian army was coming at their backs here they were at a sea, and they can't swim. They don't know where to go. What do we do now? Moses, we would have been better off as slaves than to die in the wilderness. You see, I think the funny thing about Israel is that instead of, 
what, what they said was we would have better, been better off to be slaves in Egypt than to die in the wilderness. But what they probably should have said is, you know, what is God going to do for us now? We're here. We can see the other side. But how do we get there? And I think their mentality had been such for so long that they, they couldn't see that God was going to be there for them. Which is incredible because he had been there for them through their journey. (laughs) They could clearly see the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire. They knew that God's presence was there with them. And here they get to one rough spot and they said, what are we going to do now? We're going to die here in the wilderness? We could have at least been slaves. (laughs) Just to think about that that statement. We're going to die here in the wilderness where we could have at least been slaves. And so where are we at this morning? Are we kind of at the same mentality where Israel was? God, I don't know where you were trying to take me. I don't know that I necessarily like where I am now. I would have rather been a slave than to be where I am now. Instead of saying, God, I'm going to be still. I'm going to let you fight for me. Because I know who I am and I know who I belong to. And so as, as we kind of wrap up this morning, I want us to think about where Israel had been, where their mentality was, and maybe what we, what we can learn from them and how we can change our mentality. When the bad stuff of life happens, do we say, God, I would have been better off being a slave. I would have been better off being in bondage of my sin. But now, that, now what, do I, what do I do now? Instead of saying, I would have rather been in bondage, could we not say, God, I'm just going to let you do it. I don't know where you're going to go. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what you're going to fight for me in, but I'm going to be still and let you handle it. Is that the mentality that we have today? Is that the thought process that we do when the bad stuff of life happens? Do we remember who we belong to and the fact that God is going to be there for us and fight for us. Or do we say, God, I, I would have been better off in my sin. Because the price has been paid. The battle has been won. Jesus, <coughs> Jesus died on the cross for us to make sure that the battle was over. And yet here we are sometimes saying, I would have been better off in my sin. I would have been better off in my bondage. Instead of saying, God, fight for me. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stand back and watch. And so this morning as we, as we sing this song of, uh, of invitation, as we move into our time of invitation, I want us to think, is that the mentality that we have? Or do we say, God, fight for me because I'm not strong enough to do it anymore. <clears throat> I've tried to fight for myself and I've tried to make things happen for myself, but God, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. God, will you be there for me? Will you fight for me? And so we want to sing this song of invitation as Phyllis comes up and we want to sing this morning as we think about what our mentality is. If you have a a need this morning, the elders will be here at the front. If you need somebody to pray for you and say, God, I I need you to fight for me, then I want you to come forward this morning. 
If you have a decision to make, I want you to come forward and say, God, I, I, need, I need you in my heart. I need you in my life. The elders will be here to pray for you. Or, or if, you just, if you just want to come up and fall down on your knees and, and just pray, we ask you, we invite you to do that. So would you think about that this morning as, as God pulls on your heart, would you do something this morning? Let God fight for you this morning as we stand and as we sing this song.